Welcome to Changing Academic Life. I'm Geraldine Fitzpatrick, and this is a podcast series where academics and others share their stories, provide ideas, and provoke discussions about what we can do individually and collectively to change academic life for the better. In this short in-between episode, I thought I'd pick up on one of the themes of the conversation with Mark Reed last week, and that was about self-compassion. And uh, as it so happens, I had a personal experience this week that required me actually to draw on self-compassion as a practice to help deal with it. And that was about getting some feedback from some work that I had done where you know how it is with, say, teaching evaluations. There'll be, you know, the 80%, 90% that are good, and there'll always be some that are a little bit critical. Um, and, of course, I focused on the ones that were a little bit more critical and found that challenging. So before I go on and talk about self-compassion, I just want to replay a little bit of what Mark had to say here. One of the exercises I do is... To, to get people to, to think about and, uh, and discuss how they deal with challenges around imposter syndrome, perfectionism, people-pleasing, things like that. Mm-hmm. So just normalize the fact that, oh, um, we, we all struggle with at least one of these, at least from time to time, and many of us struggle with multiple of these a lot of the time. Um, and for a lot of people, just opening that up having some discussion about that, uh, the, the, the biggest eye-opener is the fact that we're not alone in this. And Kristen Neff talks about this from University of Austin, Austin Texas, um, that actually the first step towards self-compassion is realizing that you are not alone, realizing mm. that actually part of the, the, the human experience to suffer. Uh, and actually now I'm not beating myself up and saying I shouldn't feel like this. Actually, this is normal and this is okay. Now, I appreciate that this whole concept of self-compassion can sound very soft and mushy and even self-indulgent, but it's anything but, and there's a really strong evidence base behind it about its effectiveness for uh, general health and well-being. And I'll go into some of the details of the studies later on about this. But if we pick up on Kristen Neff's definition of self-compassion, she talks about self-compassion uh, referring to being supportive towards oneself when experiencing suffering or pain, and whether that's caused by personal mistakes or inadequacies or external life challenges. And in academia, we certainly have plenty of opportunities for that, don't we? Or, and in professional life generally. Um, we're dealing with a lot of rejections of papers and grant proposals. There's competition for funding and for jobs. There's job precarity and, and uncertain career paths. There's the increasing performance metrics and pressures. And we've heard in the last couple of conversations with people how this has also led to a lot of stress and mental health issues and burnout. Just for all of those reasons. It may be worth just giving self-compassion a bit of a go. So Kristen Neff and uh, her 
collaborators talk about self-compassion as being composed of three components that Mark alluded to or talked about earlier. To reiterate on those, the first component is self-kindness. And that's really simply about not beating ourselves up and not judging ourselves really harshly when we make mistakes or have difficult experiences. But being kind to ourselves and talking to ourselves as if we would talk to a best friend or someone that we really loved. So self-kindness is the first component of self-compassion. The second component is that issue about common humanity, that we're not alone, that we all make mistakes, we all have bad things happen to us. And in recognising the common humanity, it also points as a little sidebar to the importance of us sharing our experiences to really make it clear we're not alone, as I'll let Mark say later on as well. And the third component of self-compassion is mindfulness. And this is about not getting caught up in the dramas of it all and not getting overwhelmed by it and over-identifying with the emotions going on or, as an alternative, not running away from it. So it's really about just noticing what it is that we're feeling and thinking right now and bringing almost like a detached curiosity to it. So it's about accepting what we're feeling. And it may mean that we do feel it a little bit more because these sort of rejections or getting some critique, it does hurt. We do react. But in sitting with it and being curious about it, it allows us to interrogate it a little bit more and move on to sort of say, what's this about? What's it telling me? What can we learn from it? And moving it into more of a learning and a growth opportunity. So those three components of self-compassion, the self-kindness, the common humanity, and the mindfulness. And now what might be some practical practices for doing self-compassion? Well, Kristen Neff has a web page that spells out some really basic, simple practices that support self-compassion. So there are a whole lot of guided practices as audios that you can download. And she also has a list of description of particular exercises. Some examples here then. One that is really recommended and really simple is just using physical touch. So that might be putting your hand on on your heart or if that feels uncomfortable or a bit weird, just rubbing your arm or touching your hand or giving yourself a little hug. Uh, that issue of touch and the, the, this oxytocin in connection and care back to ourselves can be really important. And part of that is then also the practice of the self-talk that we can say to ourselves, it's okay, I know that it's really hard right now, or whatever, we'll get through this. And then there are some other particular practices that you might do, which can also be things like just, as she talks about it in terms of a breathe in, breathe out compassion. So you might take a breath in and think about breathing in self-compassion and kindness for yourself and 
just a breath out, breathing out, a compassion for other people. And uh, there's you know, another practice that's mentioned that's got a lot of evidence base behind it is the practice of journaling to sort of process the difficult experiences or events by just writing about them. So I said about my my uh, experience this week, so I was just going to talk about this in terms of um, related work and what it's all about, but I can I can share my own story. So yes, yeah, so I found myself, you know, sort of feeling, doing that, wanting to crawl into a little ball and feeling sort of reactive to some of the, the critical comments or, or sort of feedback um, that I received. So I really had to work hard at just saying, it's okay, you can feel disappointed and and just give myself a break that it's I'm I'm not going to be perfect. I am not perfect. And I am also not going to please everybody all of the time, especially when you're working with a bigger group with lots of diverse challenges. And then just going back and, and looking at the feedback and actually reflecting on the fact that, yeah, there were actually some really good points there. And it, you know, there were some things that I could improve on and that I could take as learnings for next time. And one of the ways I also helped process that was um, using that as a focus for my my morning journal practice, where I just sat there and wrote about how it felt and what I might take away from it. And as part of that interrogating, I guess, why it was sort of I felt bad that, yes, there is a little bit of ego there, like, oh, I, I haven't done as well, I haven't lived up to my own standards and I haven't done as well as I wanted to do or be seen to do. But also I connected to, was able to connect to something a little bit deeper and it was why I was doing this work in the first place and it's because I really want to make a difference. Um, I want us to help create a more sustainable, collegial, academia where we can really do great work without burning out and so on. And so it was really about the difference that I wanted to make and that maybe I did fall short a little bit in making the difference that I wanted to make in this particular uh, instance. And that really helped me reorient to go back and to pick up those learnings. Like that mind shift was really important to connecting to why I was doing this and why I wanted to learn and why I can always get better and take the learnings from feedback, the good feedback and the negative feedback, and to remind myself that there is also good feedback, that you know, it's, it's, um, there are things to be learned from that as well in terms of what does work. So it was just curious that I had to have my own personal experience this week in talking about it. I will link in the show notes to some example papers that point to some of the evidence base for this. If you want to sit and just hear about some of it now, I will briefly run through some of this. So for example, there have been a couple of meta-analyses that have looked at the relationship of uh, self-compassion and well-being. So there was a 2015 meta-analysis by Zessen and colleagues, and their findings were clearly highlighting the importance of self-compassion for uh, well-being for individuals and that the relationship was particularly stronger for cognitive and psychological well-being 
compared to affective well-being. A later 2021 meta-analysis by Phillips and Hine focused particularly on physical health and on health-promoting behaviours. And to read from their findings, they talk about the strongest effects were observed on global physical health, functional immunity, composite health behaviour, sleep and danger avoidance. And also that actually doing some deliberate interventions over multiple sessions really were effective for boosting self-compassion and increasing uh, physical health and positive health behaviours. Another 2021 meta-analysis by Christina Ewart and and co-authors, again, just reading from their findings, talked about self-compassion is important for understanding the mechanisms involved in coping with stress and with demanding life events, and that the size and direction of the correlations depend on the coping strategies considered with protective effects of self-compassion with respect to maladaptive coping being most So helping us just develop better coping strategies or avoiding bad coping strategies. There has also been quite a few studies within the academic context. Now, a lot of these studies focus more on student experiences, learner experiences, but some of those issues would suggest that they would translate to all of us dealing with things like failure. So there's an early 2005 paper by Krista Neff and her co-authors on self-compassion, achievement goals, and coping with academic failure. Um, and to read from that paper, overall the findings from the studies that they conducted, uh, not a meta-analysis, they were just reporting on two studies, suggest that self-compassion helps to facilitate the learning process by freeing individuals from the debilitating consequences of harsh self-criticism, isolation, and over-identification in the face of failure, and instead provide students with self-kindness, a sense of common humanity, and emotional balance. This constructive attitude towards the self appears to help students focus on mastering tasks at hand rather than worrying about performance evaluations to retain confidence in their competence as learners, and to foster intrinsic motivation. Results also suggest that self-compassion is associated with lower anxiety levels and that self-compassionate individuals are more likely to adopt adaptive coping strategies when confronted with academic failure. So while those studies were reporting on university students, we can certainly see that there could be some benefits that we would also want to see for ourselves in dealing with academic failure. There was another study that focused on senior university level students that showed that self-compassion had a possibility of moderating the development of depression from academic burnout. This was a 2022 study by Lee and Lee. So again, while it was on advanced university level students, given what we've been hearing from our colleagues in previous conversations about burnout, the fact that there is this moderating effect on the developed depression suggests that it's something that could be worth trying. And one of the few studies that I could find that was specifically about people within academia, as in lecturers and so on, um, there was a 2023 paper by 
Drosen et al. on self-compassion as a means to improve job-related well-being in academia. And here they particularly drew attention to the challenges we face like rejections, competitive funding, uncertain job looks and so on. So their study was a diary study with 317 academics in Germany, Switzerland and the US. And to read from their findings, they talk about self-compassion in academia is a resource that enables emotion-oriented coping during difficult times or in challenging situations that may benefit academics' job-related well-being. The study highlights both the importance of discussing well-being in academia and ways to strengthen it. So I'm going to finish up now with some more words from Mark Reed, where he talks about the importance of actually discussing well-being in academia, of role modelling, coping, and so on. And I will link in the show notes too, as I said, those papers also to Kristen Neff's great webpage that's full of useful resources. That's selfcompassion.org. And just encourage us to give ourselves permission to be kind to ourselves, to recognize that we're not alone and that we can face the difficult feelings and maybe work our way through them by paying curious attention. So finishing up with Mark here. And um, unsurprisingly, actually, it's it's often new professors who uh, who I find struggle most with imposter syndrome because imposter syndrome ultimately is about a gap between how you see yourself and how the world sees you. And so it is often uh, once we reach those milestones that we've been striving for and thought, yes, yeah, if I can just get to that point, then I'll feel like I'm worth it, that, that I deserve this, that all of a sudden that goal opens up again. Um, and and I think especially, I think it's, it's particularly powerful when more senior colleagues open up about these kind of struggles and how they've dealt with them. Because ultimately, as we come back and reflect on this, what I encourage people to do is to realize that they've taken the first step towards self-compassion. And, and that place of, of self-acceptance and self-compassion um, is actually, I would suggest, uh, the foundation for compassion towards others. And so for me doing this in a group setting, whether that's in a training with me, uh, in a research group setting, just talking openly about these things. And it can be in a really positive way about how you tackle, how you deal with, how you overcome. It doesn't have to, to, to be uh, overly vulnerable um, if you don't want it to be. But, uh, but that can just normalize uh, the fact that, uh, that yeah, that we, we all struggle with these things. That we all give ourselves self-compassion and we start to see our colleagues with more humanity, understanding that, yeah, perhaps you're having a hard day. Perhaps I can see now, based on what you said, that that's maybe what's going on. Maybe I can help build you up when everything else seems to be tearing you down. And so a call to action for all of us for how we can build ourselves up and how we can build each other up. You can find the summary notes, a transcript and related links for this podcast on www.changingacademiclife.com. You can also subscribe to Changing Academic Life on iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And you can follow Change Acad Life on Twitter. And I'm really hoping that we can widen the conversation about how we can do academia differently. 
And you can contribute to this by rating the podcast and also giving feedback. And if something connected with you, please consider sharing this podcast with your colleagues. Together, we can make change happen.